evening. It is a blessing to be here and thankful for another opportunity to stand before you and hopefully uh, study something that will be helpful to you in your relationship with God. I, I want to do something for a dear brother in the audience. Um, he struggles with confidence and um, we've talked about being of service and being an encouragement to each other all this week and Brother Brad Fisher beat me in bowling by three pins today. So, um, congratulations, Brother Brad. Um, he might have had the high score. We can, we can talk after services and see if any of the young people may maybe beat his score um, this afternoon. So, uh, congratulate Brad tonight when you see him um, on, his, on his great victory um, at the bowling alley. Uh, we, we had a great day. And uh, I, the Lord wants us to have joy in our life. And we ought to enjoy the blessings that he's given to us and and these relationships that we see that are able to be formed through a week like this. I hope that you young people cherish them and and foster them to continue growing because these very people, these young people that you're developing relationships with, will be the ones that you can lean upon in difficult times. And, And that's the beautiful picture of the Lord's church. And tonight I want to study and and talk about two individuals uh, who had the exact same experience with Jesus, yet had two totally different outcomes of their life. Two people who found themselves in the exact same situation, and they chose to handle Jesus in two different ways. You know that's true today. The facts concerning Jesus don't change. And tonight I can stand before you and I can proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus came and was the manifestation of God to this world. He came in the form of humanity and taking on a body. He lived and He was tempted in all points as as we are, yet He never sinned or committed anything that would violate the will of God. And then ultimately He made a sacrifice of Himself on a cross. And in his death, three days after that, he was raised to life, never to die again. And I want to tell you tonight, those are the facts concerning Jesus and the good news of the gospel. But that doesn't mean anything to you if you don't believe it. So as we talk about the individuals that we're going to study this evening, I want you to put yourself in their position, try to understand from their perspective what they experienced with Jesus in these brief moments that they had with him on this earth, and maybe that can inspire you to have a little more faith in who Jesus is. Now, I want to start our study. I want you to get your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1. So the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, and we're going to start there in verse 19. Now, you remember Monday night, we talked about the Apostle John and how he was a loyal friend to Jesus. And even in Jesus' final moments on this earth, as he took his last breath, John was there at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother Mary and making sure that she was taken care of. Last night, we talked about a man who wasn't at the cross and could have been the greatest redemption story of all time, yet he had gone and hanged himself because of the guilt of his sin and that man being Judas. Tonight... Maybe this thus far you haven't been able to relate to John. Maybe you haven't been able to relate to Judas. I believe tonight, the individuals we're going to study, you will relate to. By the end of our lesson, 
And you will understand that you find yourself tonight in the same exact position that these men were in with Jesus. So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, the Bible reads, And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us, What sayest thou of thyself? He said, and this is John the Baptist speaking, He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were, which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not the Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Tonight, when you think about meeting Jesus, when you think about coming in contact with the Son of God, there is but one declaration that you must make. And it's the same one that John the Baptist made that day as he saw Jesus approaching him. He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Do you believe that tonight? See, if you believe that, then there is no reason that you shouldn't be confident in your eternity with God. The Bible talks a lot about faith and a lot about belief. And in Hebrews chapter 11, I believe in about verse 16, the Bible says, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You can't please God. You can't serve God. You can't have an eternity with Him in that relationship if you don't really have genuine, sincere faith in who Jesus is. And as John made that declaration, I hope and pray tonight that in your heart of hearts, you are making that declaration by the top of life that you're living. That when people see the decisions you make, they see the choices of your life, they say that person believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Because if we believe Jesus is the Son of God, there is a day of judgment that is coming. And that day of judgment will be a perfect day of righteousness. You know, God doesn't make mistakes, does He? I can't remember who it was, but maybe on uh, Monday in our, in our devotional, maybe it was Ethan, I think, that talked to the young people and said, they are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God doesn't make any mistakes. I want to tell you, you young people are amazing. Y'all are blessings to us, and God has created you. But understand something, God will judge your soul. And His judgment will be right. You will not be able to argue with His judgment. You will not be able to talk back. There will be no opposition to what God determines about your soul and eternity. That's why our faith in Jesus is paramount to our relationship with God. And tonight, if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, nothing is going to keep you from doing what God calls you to do so that you can go to heaven with Him. 
So some of you may have figured out who we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about two common criminals who found themselves hanging on the crosses next to Jesus. They experienced the same thing. They were guilty of crimes and they had been, been determined by the judge and in their court system that they were to face death and they were to be crucified. And they find themselves there hanging on crosses with Jesus in between them. Both of them the same circumstances. Both of them understanding and seeing Jesus for who he was. Yet they make two totally different choices regarding their faith in the Son of God. One of them is rewarded by the words of Jesus promising that this day he would be with him in paradise. And the other one, never confessing, dies blaspheming the name of God. Tonight... Which one will you be? You'll be one of those two. You will either be one who confesses your faith in Jesus, understanding your great need for a Savior, pleading with Him to save your soul, or you will be one who walks away rejecting the offering of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You see, tonight, we are on that cross next to Jesus. In Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 24... Mark's account here, it says, And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him, and the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. You know what that means? That means there were Old Testament prophecies that said that the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, ultimately would be sacrificed. And it even went into great detail of saying that He would be counted or numbered with the transgressors. That meant He was going to be identified as a common criminal who would face death just like a robber or a murderer would. So here we see Jesus, the Son of God, and who's he surrounded by? He's surrounded by people who have committed crimes. And they lift Jesus up on his cross, and on his right hand there's a robber and a thief. On his left hand there's a robber and a thief. And in the middle is the Son of God. Think about that for a second. We have talked about that Jesus was God in the flesh. John chapter 1 establishes that. That word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Creator of all things allowed Himself to be put to death, but a shameful death, to be counted as a criminal. Not that He just died, but everyone looked at Him and said, Look at this criminal. Is there a stigma attached to those who are identified as criminals within our society? Absolutely. You violate the laws, you commit a heinous act or a crime, no matter how sorry you are, no matter how much repentance you go through, a lot of people will always identify you by what you did. And these men were no different, but in the middle of these two robbers and thieves is the Son of God who had never done anything wrong. Is that fair? Have you ever said, this isn't fair? Have you ever said, life's not fair? Get over it. It wasn't fair to Jesus. It's not going to be fair to us. There are things that are going to happen to us that aren't fair, but our faith in Christ reassures us that we can have confidence 
That if we live according to His will, it's not about this life being fair, it's about a reward in eternity with Him. And that's our focus and our aim. You see, this was foretold by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 53, as he wrote declaring and talking about this suffering servant, he identified that this event was going to take place. Says there in verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He died as a transgressor to make intercession for who? The transgressors. He had to. And who are the transgressors that he made intercession for? You and me. You realize that? It was our sins that caused Jesus to be mocked and ridiculed and looked down upon as a common criminal. Because he had not done anything wrong, but on the cross, what was he doing? He was becoming our sin. He was taking on our sin on his shoulders to make a sacrifice for us. Which means what? We should have been on the cross, shouldn't we? We said Sunday afternoon, the wages of sin is death. And we said also Sunday afternoon that all have what? Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, that's a great commonality about humanity. If you're here this, uh, this evening and you have reached that age of understanding the difference between right and wrong, and you can understand sin and its consequences, then I got a revelation for you. You've committed sin. In some way, at some point, you have violated the will of God, haven't you? Because none of us are perfect. But we are those very transgressors that Jesus became a transgressor to make intercession for. And we need to be thankful for that. That Jesus was willing to humble himself and not just die on the cross, but to become as a transgressor for you and for me. You see, both of these men that were crucified with Jesus, they had committed evil acts, and it was well known. Mark's account there in chapter 15 and verse 27 says, With him they also crucified two robbers. Do you like robbers? What do you think about thieves? I know how Sean feels about thieves. (laughs) About the lowest of the low. I I think y'all are missing a popcorn machine and an ice cream maker. Somebody got in there and took them. He says, what possesses someone just to take something that doesn't belong to them? That's wrong on so many levels. And how low of a person would do something like that and prevent these wonderful children from having ice cream? Y'all are still going to get ice cream. (laughs) It's okay. But we don't like thieves. And Jesus is there... Hanging with thieves. And everyone associates Jesus as what? As a thief, as a robber, as a common criminal. It says, so the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. In Mark 15 and verse 7, we see an illustration of the man named Barabbas. Now you remember Barabbas? That Barabbas was the one that Pilate offered to the Jews to uh, give them an option of who he would release to them at the Passover, that they could have Jesus released to them, or they could have this known murderer and criminal Barabbas. 
And, and it shocked him of their response because what did they choose? They chose Barabbas. They would have rather had someone they knew was a murderer, a terrorist. That's really who Barabbas was. If you really study and look at the crimes he had committed and the history surrounding him, he was a known terrorist to the Roman government and to the Jewish authorities. And they said, we would rather have him released to us than Jesus who had done nothing wrong. Is that fair? No. Notice what Mark says about Barabbas. There was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. So in this group that had been arrested wasn't just Barabbas, but there was a group of terrorists that he was the leader of. And they had committed what? Murder in the rebellion. And this is who Jesus now is associated with. Your parents ever tell you you're known by the company you keep? They tell you to be careful. The Bible tells us that evil communications corrupt what? Good morals. You better be careful of the people you let into your life to influence you. Now, did Jesus choose to be with these criminals? No. Did he deserve to be with these criminals? But as far as the world was concerned, they looked at Jesus and said, what? He's just another criminal. And now he's going to die. Just as these terrorists are going to die and pay for their crimes. Now, one of these that was crucified with Jesus begins to mock and make fun of him. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 39, the Bible says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Now, understand, this was not a declaration of faith that Jesus was the Son of God, And that this man understood the gravity of Jesus' sacrificial death for him. He was saying, hey, if you really are the Son of God, save us. He didn't have confidence in that. Could Jesus have done that? Absolutely. Jesus could have called legions of angels to come and deliver him. He didn't even need angels. He could have gotten off the cross any time he wanted to. But he was fulfilling the perfect will of God. And this one criminal is mocking Jesus. Oh, if you really are the Son of God, save yourself. But you know what, Jesus? You're going to die just like me. And there's nothing significant about what you are doing today. That's what this one thief said. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27 there, beginning in verse 39. Because this criminal hanging next to Jesus that blasphemed him wasn't the only one that did that. Matthew 27, verse 39, says, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others? Himself he cannot save? If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. So it wasn't just this one criminal being crucified next to Jesus that was mocking Jesus and saying, hey, if you really are who you said you are, fix this. 
The crowd around Jesus at that time was ridiculing him and mocking him. How do you think that made Jesus feel? Do you think that hurt him to hear those words from the very people that he's on the cross dying for? I want to tell you something. There are people today that mock Jesus. There are people today that don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. There are people today that would tempt God and say, well, if you are God, then do this or do that. I'll tell you, we have no need to tempt or to test our God. Our God has proven who He is. Over and over again, time after time, so that we might have faith and be obedient to His will so that we would reap the blessings of a faithful, obedient life in service to Him. But you know that other criminal, what did he do? He began to defend Jesus. Luke's account there in chapter 23, beginning of verse 40 says, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Isn't that in stark contrast to what the other thief said? The other thief is mocking and ridiculing Jesus, saying, hey, if you really are the Son of God, get us out of this situation. And here one steps in and says, are you not even being considerate of the position you're in? (laughs) You're dying. And do you not even have a fear or a reverence or a respect for God whom you're about to meet? And your soul is going to be judged? Do you not even have any serious thought in your head about the reality of what you're facing? But you know, you deserve to die. I deserve to die because of my crimes. This man hasn't done anything wrong. So this thief begins to defend Jesus. How long had this man known Jesus? We don't know. Maybe he had witnessed a miracle Jesus had performed. Maybe he had heard Jesus preach and teach. Maybe he had heard the witness of John the Baptist and that declaration of him being the Son of God, the Lamb of God who came to take away that we just don't know. But we know at this very moment he's on a cross next to Jesus and he's being considerate of his reality and what he's facing and he at least has some reverence toward God and respect for Jesus and who he is and says, Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. Jesus doesn't deserve to be here. We deserve to die. Do you understand why I said at the beginning of the lesson we need to be able to relate to these thieves? Do we deserve to die? Because of our sins, we do. But there between these two thieves is an innocent man taking on the sins of the world. Which thieve are you? You're going to be one of the two. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 gives us some insight about Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. What's that mean? That means Jesus understood what it meant to live in the flesh. Is your flesh weak? (laughs) Would any of us say the Apostle Paul is weak? I wouldn't. 
But you know what he said about his flesh? He said in his flesh was no good thing. And he gives that somewhat confusing statement about the things that he should do, he doesn't do, and the things he shouldn't do, he does. And at the conclusion of that, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then what's he say? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. You see, Jesus didn't do anything wrong. Jesus only wanted to help people. Jesus went and healed the sick. Jesus went and raised the dead. Jesus went and taught people what they needed to know so they could be pleasing to God and have their sins forgiven. And yet humanity did what to Jesus? Put him on a cross. What would you say about Jesus tonight? Would you declare his innocence to this world? Would you stand up and say, Jesus didn't deserve to die, I deserve to die? Would you say that? Because I believe that's a true statement. Because of our sins, we deserve death. Jesus didn't deserve that. But he willingly took it upon himself and didn't die for his own sins. He died for ours. You know, this criminal displayed faith in Jesus. Look at verse 42 of Luke 23. It says, Then he said to Jesus, Lord, what's the word Lord mean? It means you're giving someone the right to rule over you. So this this thief that is facing death on a cross, he's suffering in pain and agony just like Jesus was. And he looks at Jesus and says, Lord, he was recognizing the authority of Jesus Christ. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Who is it that rules over a kingdom? The king. So guess what this thief said? This thief said, Jesus, you're the king. You're the authority. And whenever you get into your kingdom, Lord, just, just remember me, please. Do you think this man was desperate? You know why he was desperate? Because he was paying for his crimes. Was he going to come down off that cross? He knew he was facing death. He knew his time was short. And he was desperately seeking answers and opportunity to try to understand and make sure that he would not face eternal punishment from God. And he cries out to Jesus and says, Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. Do you think it was good that this man had that opportunity to have this conversation with Jesus? Do you think he lived his life and said, you know, I'm just going to do everything I want to do. And and then right before I die, maybe just maybe I'll have a chance and, and I'll ask God to forgive me. You know, there are some people that live their life that way today. That will live in all type of sinful behavior and rebellion against the will of God. Hoping and praying that with their final breath, they can make some confession that would save their soul. You know, here's the problem with that. Number one, none of us knows our end. Do we? This man knew because he had been crucified. He knew his time was short. I want to tell you, there are people that are out and about this evening that will not make it home. 
their life will come to an end. There will be people that go to bed tonight that do not wake up in the morning. And if they were waiting to, in their final breaths, make a declaration or confession of Christ to save their soul, you know what? They're going to miss that opportunity, aren't they? You see, the wise choice is while we know we have life, while we know we have opportunity to make the decision to serve Jesus. And this thief was simply taking advantage of the opportunity that was afforded to him at that very moment. This criminal had more faith than the religious people in Jesus' day. Notice what Jesus, in Luke chapter 24 and verse 20, it says, And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this today is the third day since these things happened. And on that road to Damascus, as these men were walking and talking about what had happened in these previous days, they were saying, man, we were hoping He was the one. We were hoping He was the Redeemer. We were hoping... What did that thief dying next to Jesus proclaim? He said, you're the King, and when you come to your kingdom, remember me, Lord. That took a lot of faith, didn't it? Because the evidence in front of him said what? Jesus is a criminal. He's dying on a cross right next to you. But this man recognized the Son of God and he sought mercy. Luke 23 and 41, And we indeed justly, we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He didn't say, Lord, I deserve to go with you into paradise. He didn't say, Lord, you owe it to me to take me to heaven. He said, Lord, it's in your hands and I trust you. Because I know who you are. And tonight, if you know who Jesus is, you need to make sure you lay your eternity into His hands and trust Him with that outcome. But it means you have to have faith and live accordingly to that declaration. You see, this criminal sought the mercy of Christ. I want to tell you, God gives us that mercy. Romans chapter 5, Paul writes, he says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Think about this criminal on that cross. Was he enduring wrath? Yes, he was enduring wrath. Surely he had been scourged, just like Jesus, to some degree. Surely his arms had been stretched out and nails had been put through his wrist and his feet. And he was suffering the wrath for the sins that he had committed. But here we see that we can escape wrath. Because the wrath that is described here is not the wrath of a physical punishment on this earth. It is the eternity separated from God. And when you think about hell, I want you to know something tonight. Hell is real. And in your own study, you can go and look at in the New Testament. Because hell is unpopular to talk about. And I understand why. But it's a place of wrath and torment. Where those who have rebelled against God spend an eternity separated from Him. And you know who talked about Gehenna hell more than anybody in the New Testament? Jesus. You know why Jesus talked about hell? It wasn't to scare people. It was for them to realize the seriousness of the consequences of the decisions that they're making in their life. 
And tonight I don't talk about hell to scare you, but to make you understand Jesus died to save you from that. But you have to accept the offering. Did Jesus die for that other criminal who ridiculed him and mocked him? He did. Did that criminal accept that offering? No. He suffered the wrath of God. But the other one, Jesus made a great promise to. And in verse 43 of Luke 23, what did Jesus declare to this man? Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Do you think there's any more comforting words this man could have received as he was taking his last breaths on this earth than to know Jesus had just made him a promise that you're going to be with me in paradise? Isn't that what we want? Absolutely. When Jesus makes a promise, does he keep his word? Every time. So as Jesus declared to this man, you'll be with me in paradise, this man could find comfort and have confidence in what Jesus told him. Do you think that brought peace to his mind even though he was suffering? (laughs) Even though he was in pain and agony, do you think it helped him to be comforted and find peace with himself, knowing he had peace with God and he wouldn't have to endure wrath for eternity? Certainly. tell you tonight, you're on that cross next to Jesus. Jesus is making an offering for your sins, but what do you believe about this man? Do you believe he's the Son of God? Would you cry out to him, asking him to save you? Do you have faith like this criminal who acknowledged Jesus as Lord and asked him to remember him when he came into his kingdom? If you do, you can be saved. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You cannot be saved without faith. Now, is faith the only thing that the Bible talks about in order for us to be saved that we have to exhibit within our life? Certainly not. We have other commands that we see in the Bible. Certainly belief and faith being one, confession being another, repentance being another. And baptism being the culmination of those things at the point at which we are born again in Jesus. And that's often the question here with this criminal. People will say, well, you believe you have to be baptized to be saved. This criminal wasn't baptized and Jesus told him he was saved. Is that true? I got a question. How do we know that man hadn't been baptized? We don't know. We don't know that he was, but we don't know that he wasn't. But apparently in his life, he had learned and heard enough about Jesus that as Jesus is on the cross, he recognized him as Lord and confessed that faith in him, didn't he? So maybe, just maybe, at some point in his life, he had heard the teaching about Jesus and he had submitted and been baptized. You don't know. But there's something important about this man that doesn't apply to us that we want to look at. And in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You believe Jesus is the Son of God? Are you willing to confess that? 
Are you willing to say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Then the Bible says, you do those things, you'll be saved. Is that hard to understand? The pure message, the gospel of Jesus Christ is simple. Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and he was raised from the dead three days later. And after that, we see a transitional period in God preaching the gospel through the apostles, ultimately to the New Testament, the same message that we preach today, that people can be saved from their sins by being obedient to that gospel, believing and confessing the name of Jesus. You remember what this criminal asked his counterpart on the other side of Jesus, do you not even fear God? And I ask you the same question tonight. Do you not even fear God? Do you not even reverence Him? Do you not think that He's going to do what He said He's going to do? He's going to hold you accountable for the choices and the decisions you've made in your life. And the only way for you to be saved is to call out to Jesus. What did this criminal do? Did he cry out to Jesus? He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, didn't he? He put his faith in Jesus and said, Jesus, save me. And Jesus made him that promise. You understand what Jesus had the power to do as long as he was alive on this earth? He could forgive sins, couldn't he? You know, when people came to Jesus seeking physical healing, whether it was for a physical ailment or a disease that they had, Jesus always solved their greatest problem. Yes, he made the lame man to get up and walk, but what else did he do for that man? He said, your sins are forgiven you. What did he do for the man who was blind that could never have seen? He healed him of his blindness, and what did he tell him? Your sins are forgiven you. Which one is greater? Being able to see from being blind or having your sins forgiven? One brings you an eternity with God. The other solves a physical issue here on this earth for a short amount of time. But as long as Jesus was alive on this earth, he could declare people's sins to be forgiven. And as this man hung on that cross next to Jesus, whether he had been baptized previously or not, it did not matter because Jesus said what? You're going to be with me in paradise. And we trust the words of Jesus. But tonight, the reality is you're not on a cross next to Jesus. You're in an audience of people studying the Word of God. Being confronted with your own sins. Understanding that you deserve to die and to be separated from God forever because of the things you have chosen to do. But on a cross 2,000 years ago, a man died and said, I will take your sins on myself and you can be forgiven. Romans 10 and verse 13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord? If you haven't, you need to do that tonight. And I want you, as we sing that invitation song in just a moment, Brother Scott's going to come up and lead for us, I want you to give honest, sincere thought to your eternity. I want to tell you, we're not having this meeting this week, so... I can get up every night and talk to you. We're having this meeting this week so that you can learn about Jesus. And if something in your life needs to change, you change it. You repent. 
and you get closer to your Lord. And if you leave here tonight and you know you're not close to Jesus, you know you haven't been saved, you know you haven't put on Christ, you're risking your eternity. Because right now you have time, right now you have opportunity, and we're not promised tomorrow. As excited as everybody is about Six Flags, it's not promised. And something could happen tonight that puts you standing before God. But right now you can call out to Jesus. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, our last passage of the evening, tells us how the Apostle Paul was instructed to call upon the name of the Lord. Ananias told him, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You see, that thief had the chance to cry out, Lord Jesus, save me. And Jesus did. Tonight, Jesus says, if you want my salvation, cry out to me and be baptized. Call on my name through that act. And you know what? You'll have paradise and eternity with God. If you need to do that, take care of it tonight. If you have questions about that, I want to tell you the elders here, the deacons here, the men, the women here would love to sit and talk with you about what the Bible says about your soul and the desperate needs you have to have your sins forgiven. That's why we're here. And if we can help you with that, if you know you need to be baptized, if you know you have strayed away from your Savior and you've not been the disciple you need to be, Jesus is calling His blood is ready and available to wash and to cleanse you of your sins. But you have to take the step to come to Him. Will you? Please come while we stand and sing.